Today on episode 16 of the Violence Design Lab podcast, we're talking melees. That's right, group fights, rumbles, battles, how to define them, how to negotiate them with directors, and most of all, how the heck to design them. So out swords and to work with all. Welcome to the Violence Design Lab podcast, putting the science in theatrical violence. Now here's your host, David Barefoot. Greetings, David here. Welcome to the show. If you're just joining the podcast, I'm here to be your personal violence design coach. I've been staging fights and violence for live theater since 1992, and I want to use those 25 years of experience to encourage you to enter the world of stage combat, to coach you towards choreographing better fights, and to train you to tackle the challenges of theatrical violence design. Did you know that Merriam-Webster's first definition for the word melee is a confused struggle? It's not until the second definition that we get a hand-to-hand fight among several people. And to be brutally honest, most of the melees I see on stage are a muddled mess. Sure, there's lots of choreography, fists flying, and swords swinging, but there's no through line, no breadcrumb trail to lead the audience through. It's just random fighting. Now, full disclosure here, part of my mission in life is to end random violence and replace it with artfully crafted violence. Violence that tells a coherent story. Good design can't simply put a confused struggle on stage and call it a day. Even a melee where the characters feel they're in a chaotic, confused struggle is still a coherent story, and we have to intentionally design that. So let's begin from the beginning. What is a melee? You have a script, say, that includes a fight with three or more people, or a battle scene, or something that involves more than two people fighting each other. Well, the first thing to do is figure out the scope. In other words... Is this a melee? Or is it really two people fighting and another person breaking it up? Or a duel where a couple of innocent bystanders are struck? Now, while those kinds of fights technically involve several people, I don't really consider them full melees because they don't require nearly any special choreographic considerations. Just plan your fight like normal with two people and then plug in the extras where you need them. But if you're doing Romeo and Juliet, for example, you've got a melee right out of the gate. Bang! The first scene. There's at least four servants, Benvolio and Tybalt fighting, at the minimum, with three or four non-combatants and as many additional people as the director wants. Rick Gilbert and I once staged a version with 52 participants. Welcome to high school theater. So, a real melee in my book is three or more people actively engaged in fighting each other for more than a move or two. Now keep in mind that even though the term melee might make you think of a medieval battle, the group combats I'm talking about can also cover modern bar brawls, gang rumbles in West Side Story, and groups attacking an individual, and that sort of thing, as well as, you know, Roman soldiers battling Visigoths. Is there a script out there for that? There should be. One other caveat. If you're a film person, be warned that I am strictly talking about melees for live theater today. Some of the principles will still apply, but melees on screen are a whole different animal, and you have a much more limited level of control of the final product than a theatrical designer will have. So, glean what you can from the episode, but don't frustrate yourself by yelling, Yeah, but in film, every three minutes. Plus, that'll make you look like a crazy person on the train. Now, when you have a real melee on your hand, save yourself a huge headache and have a chat with the director before you start designing. 
you have questions to ask, expectations to manage, logistics to hammer out. Every melee design must work within the parameters of the production, so you can't start laying down choreography until you know what you have to work with. Your first question has to be, how many people are in this fight? You don't want to put on a lot of, in a lot of work on that four-way sword fight and then learn that the director has five other people that he wants involved as well. Another basic question is, what is the size and shape of the fight space? This will also affect your design drastically. We'll talk about that, especially in relation to sight lines later. Next, ask the director how long they envision the melee to continue. Now, this may well be your biggest point of contention, because you'll probably have to manage their expectations. Your director grew up watching movies just like you did, and is used to seeing battle scenes with hundreds or thousands of live extras or CGI troops that might take up 15 minutes of screen time, and part of them imagines your battle scene through the same filter. Last year, I choreographed Narnia, the musical version of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, for a children's theater company, and the director had given me 37 children for the climactic battle scene. The underscoring music for the battle scene was eight and a half minutes long, and that's how long she expected the fight to be. Now keep in mind, this particular theater only rehearses Friday nights and from nine to one on Saturdays for five weeks total plus a text week. That's it. And when I asked how much rehearsal time the director could give me, she started with, well, I could give you an hour and a half this Friday and then maybe an hour on the Saturday after next. <laughs> Eight and a half minutes of choreography for 37 kids, mostly under 16, swinging swords for the first time. If I staged eight and a half minutes with continuous battle choreography like she had in mind, I would need every minute of the production's total rehearsal schedule and then some. Of course, not really an option. So another really important question is, how much rehearsal time is available for working on the melee? Now obviously, your fight is going to involve multiple actors, sometimes a majority of the cast, and it's not as easy for the director to work around you as it is for a two-person fistfight. Now the last piece of logistics to figure out depends on if your melee is unarmed or includes weapons. If it's an unarmed bar brawl that might include a found weapon or two, it's not a big deal. But if you're trying to stage Agincourt for Henry V, you need to have a clear idea of your weapon and armor resources because that will also be a limiting factor for how many people you have on stage at once. It would look odd, after all, if Lord Exeter runs into battle without a sword. Okay, so now that you know the resources and limitations you have to work with by talking with the director, let's jump to the drawing board and start designing. Melees are fights between groups of people. I know you're saying, my God, he's a genius, but hang with me. That statement goes a bit deeper than you might think. You see, a well-designed melee is not a series of one-on-one -on -one fights in proximity. When a group fight is designed that way, it, it technically fulfills the outward requirements of a melee, that is, a lot of people fighting in roughly the same area at the same time, but it ignores the perspective of the major characters on stage, the groups themselves. In a one-on-one -on -one fight, you're dealing with a relationship between two people. Each of them has a goal they're trying to achieve, and their choreographic story results from one person's plan crashing into the other person's plan. That's, that's pretty straightforward. But by contrast, in a melee, there are multiple layers of story to consider, 
each with its own three line, through line. The three that I lay out when I design are the overall through line, the relationship through line, and the character through line. I'll explain each of these in more detail, but understand that these through lines differ in scale. A battle of thousands of people is really made up of the struggles of individual soldiers against each other, and each soldier is a person with his or her own motivations, personality, stakes, and goal. Think of it like like having a big zoom lens. In the wide shot, we see units of Wellington's army getting into position and, and moving into contact with the French, big blocks of troops. Zoom in, and you can watch that individual French grenadier in a desperate saber duel with a British infantry officer. Now imagine your camera could zoom into the redcoat officer's mind, and you could see that he's been disgraced because of prior cowardice and is almost suicidal in his effort to capture the French standard, their battalion's eagle, because doing so would make him a hero and restore his reputation. So Each of those three through lines will inform your choreography, and your focus will be switching back and forth between them during the course of the melee. So let's dive in and look at each one in more detail. The overall through line. The top level of the, of the melee story is that overall through line. Think of this as the outline of events that a history professor would tell to her students a hundred years after the fact. This gives you the overall shape of the battle, sort of a general's eye view of things. Sometimes this shape will be laid out in the script, sometimes it will not. If you're doing one of Shakespeare's history plays or a script about a real-world historical conflict, you can literally follow or at least draw inspiration from actual accounts of the battle. Keep in mind that just like a fight between two characters, the through-line of a battle comes as a result of the relationship between the groups or factions, one side's strategy smashing up against the others. Now, when you're plotting out the overall through-line, think in broad strokes at first. Which side is winning? Which is losing? How desperate the situation is for the weaker side, etc. See, most plays are not documentaries of historical events. They're explorations of character. So the timeline of a larger battle is often more of a background to the real focus of the play. For example, in the Maxwell Anderson play, The Eve of St. Mark, the overall through line is about the Japanese invasion of the Philippines in World War II, but only a couple of events at that level are communicated in the course of the script. However, you need to understand the conflict at this level in order to extrapolate what happens at the smaller scale. Now, remember, too, that theater is representation, not simulation. You will not be able to fully reproduce the look and the sound of the charge of the light brigade in the Crimean War with six actors and no horses or cannon. Even Shakespeare lamented this problem in his prologue to Henry V when he wrote, Can this cockpit hold the vasty fields of France, or may we cram within this wooden O the cast that did affright the air at Agincourt? Well, the answer to those questions for centuries was a resounding no. But with 21st century CGI and our modern movie industry backing you, the answer becomes, sure, how much money you got? But speaking of Shakespeare, his history plays can be notorious for alluding to historical battles, but not giving us modern folks enough clues to know what's going on. Going back to Henry V, there's a, there's a scene in the midst of the Battle of Agincourt where the English realize that the French have attacked their baggage train and killed even the young boys who were tending it. Now, to a modern American audience, this is very weird. Wait, you had children with you on the front lines? Oh, they were in the wagons in the rear. 
Wait, wait, the French got around behind your lines and you didn't notice? And they didn't just surround you and wipe you out? I'm so confused. Now, you will not, of course, be able to stop the action and whip up a PowerPoint presentation to explain the order of events to your audience, but it is your job to know what happens in the battle and to lay it out as coherently as is necessary and possible. Okay, let's zoom in our scale a little bit. The relationship through line. See, this through line is where your choreography lives and breathes. This level of the story is the direct conflict between opposing fighters. The I swing at your head, you block with your shield level. This is what most people think of when they imagine your battle scene. See, now we're seeing things from the perspective of the individual fighter. That fighter will come into contact with one or more enemy fighters and their opposing goals, which are usually to cause as much harm to the other person as possible, they're going to come into direct conflict. And even though it's possible these two fighters may never have seen each other before this moment, we as the audience still need to see their relationship and the designer has only seconds to establish it. Are they known rivals to each other like Hotspur and Prince Hal? Is one character Deerslayer and the other a nameless Huron warrior? Are they equal in skill, in weapon choice, in determination to achieve their goal? All these things and a dozen more should influence your choreographic choices. Sometimes characters begin an interpersonal conflict not knowing each other, yet they develop an intense and impactful relationship during the fight itself. I I recall that amazing scene from Saving Private Ryan where a German soldier kills Private Mellish with a bayonet, face-to-face, slowly and extremely intimately. It's almost a tender moment in a bizarre way. And then that German soldier, affected by the emotion of what just happened, chooses to walk right past Mellish's friend, Private Upham, that cowers in the, sto- in the, in the stairway. Can you have such a featured moment in the middle of a melee? You can, but you have to know how to pull out and emphasize those kinds of moments so they aren't missed by the audience, and I'll talk about that later. And remember, just like a painting needs both broad strokes and fine detail, it's okay to allow some characters to remain strictly functional, to be nameless mooks and faceless enemies to be chopped down in short order by the heroes, or confronted generically by an opposing unit of soldier in a moment of chaos. In next week's episode, part two of Designing Melees, I'll be talking about featured fights versus background fights versus chaos moments and swipes and reveals and and the nuts and bolts of the choreography and how to rehearse it. So be sure to tune in next week for that. For now, though, let's move down to the character level. See, wars are won by armies, but they're fought by individuals. Every character in your melee is a distinct person with their own reasons for being there, attitudes toward fighting, dying, and the goals of their larger groups, feeling towards the enemy's goals for the scene. I mean, this level of the story seems pretty nebulous, right? But it informs your choreography. It influences it. You may think that what's my motivation is the actor's job, but just as most other aspects of theater are collaborative, this question is also pertinent to the violence designer. Because someone out for personal glory on the battlefield who thinks they're invincible, they're going to fight very differently than a conscripted librarian who just wants to survive and get back home. They may both fight and kill, but their choreography should be markedly different. 
See, this is an interesting area of violet design, and honestly, one of the most fascinating aspects of the craft for me. When you choreograph, you are literally making character choices for the actor. The way a person fights cannot help but reveal their personality, their goals, their level of courage, and other aspects of who they are as people. And if you simply plug-and-play choreographic techniques that fit the weapon style and make everyone fight essentially the same, you're missing it. You're missing a huge amount of potential depth and story in your scene. Now, also, remember that whatever you decide the fight moves will be, the audience will see them performed through the filter of a specific human being. If your choreography doesn't fit the body type, movement style, skill level of the actor playing that specific warrior, it's going to play far different than you expected at best and look false or, or stilted at worst. I mean, for example, fighting moves that work naturally to my body may well look ridiculous or completely awkward to someone who is 6'2 and muscular, two things I've, I've never been accused of. Now, there's a few questions to ask at this level that'll help you get a quick handle on a specific character for the purpose of a melee. First, what is the character's goal in the scene? Yes, the, I mean, the army is there to drive the army from, other army from the field, but is the character there because they want to kill people they hate? Do they simply want to survive? Are they there to make sure their king survives at any cost, up to and including laying down their own life? Second, what is their relationship to the enemy? Is there a racial or cultural hatred? Are they almost apologetic to kill them? Or are they trying to subdue the enemy and, and cause as little harm as possible? Third, what is their relationship to their comrades? I mean, is this battle an every-man-for-themself gang rumble? Is it a band of brothers sacrificing themselves for each other? Or are there one or two fellow soldiers that a fighter will do anything for, but ignore the plight of others? I've heard it expressed by veterans many times that soldiers are much more commonly fighting to keep their friends alive than they are fighting for some philosophical cause. Lastly, how committed is this character to the fight? I mean, you could rephrase that last question as, how brave is this character? But I tend to view courage as a byproduct, as an ex external expression of commitment. General George Patton is quoted as saying, All men are afraid in battle. The coward is the one who lets his fear overcome his sense of duty. So, labeling someone brave or not afraid, it's too shallow for my taste. Much more interesting uh, is, is to watch is someone who sees the danger, who understands the risk of pain and death, and then goes ahead and fights anyway because their commitment to their goal is more important. Now, do you need to ask all these questions and all these layers of every single character in a 50-person fight? Well, you likely won't have time to choreographically feature each character's internal motivation and relationship, but remember, again, that each character is played by a living, breathing actor whose job it is to step into the shoes of that character and bring them to life. The more you can help you can give them in that job, the more depth, nuance, and character your melee is going to have. No one likes to feel like they're unimportant in their role on stage, and you don't want to treat the characters they're playing with any less respect than that actor is giving to them. So now, I've been talking for almost 20 minutes now, and we've only gotten through the things you need to consider 
before you start designing the actual choreography of a melee. Did I did I mention these things are complex? So I have broken this topic down into two parts. Next week, we're going to actually get our hands dirty and get into the mechanics of how to choreograph a battle scene, including the differences between open order and close order melees, uh, how to feature specific fighters within the larger battle, how to direct the audience to look exactly where you want them to, and a lot more. So be sure to come back next week because you won't want to miss that. Hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, do please let others know about it. One way to do that is to head on over to iTunes and leave me some stars and a review on the podcast page. As I've said in the last couple episodes, for the rest of May, I'm running a special offer for you. If you leave a review on iTunes and let me know about it on the Violence Design Lab Facebook page, I'll include you in my private Facebook group called the Historical Stage Violence Forum. This is an invitation-only group for people who are interested in both historical fighting styles and stage combat, and you can interact and ask questions of me and, and literally members around the world who share our interest. So do that, let me know about it, and I'll send you an invite. Now normally, this group is only open to my Patreon supporters, but for May, I'm opening up to anyone who leaves me a review on iTunes. Hey, speaking of Patreon... This podcast is entirely supported by the generosity of you, the listeners. You'll notice there are no ads or corporate sponsorship. And if you'd like to help out to keep this project going week after week, head on over to patreon.com slash violencedesignlab and enter your pledge. Each level of support has its rewards, including transcripts of the regular episodes and full uncut video footage of my interview episodes. Thanks in advance for your support. So until next week, keep the fights on stage and peace in your life. David, out. Thanks for listening to the Violence Design Lab podcast. For more tips, tutorials, and downloadable resources, visit us at violencedesignlab.com.